Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. Started the book of Ephesians together. Our sermon series is called Together as Family because what we see in the book of Ephesians is we see really the first half is about who is God and the second half is about who are we. In fact, it's kind of uh, what do we believe and what do we do? And, and in seminary, you'll hear it called orthodoxy and orthopraxy or, or, or belief and practice. And so what we did in the first three chapters is we looked at how God in his greatness brings us together as family, just as he did Jew and Gentile, the mystery that Paul talks about of how Jew and Gentile and how he was made, uh, 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 he was commissioned in order to tell of God's fame to both the Gentiles and the Jews. And so what we see is that God brings us together. And so today, uh, we are going to look at how God brings us together in unity to display His glory and His fame. Today's sermon is entitled, This is Unity, and we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6. Let's go ahead and read that together. Therefore I, I is Paul, therefore I, the prisoner, a prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling that you've received with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to, just as you were called, hold on, my page got stuck here, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for gathering us here today. Lord, gathering us here today together as family church. God, we, we thank you that we get to sing about you. Lord, we get to come to the table and remember you. Lord, we get to uh, proclaim your truth today. Lord, and I pray that everything we do here today would bring you glory, Lord, and would empower us to, to show your glory to a world that desperately needs to hear this good news that we call the gospel. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Our big idea is this. The Holy Spirit unites us. The Holy Spirit unites us. Paul opens up and he says, therefore I. And if you've been in church long enough, you know when you come to therefore or now this or one of those transition statements, you always have to look. You've heard it's like a broken record. What is the therefore, therefore? And so when you look at the first three chapters of Ephesians, if you go back and you read, if, if you remember last fall when we were going through it together, what Paul did in the first three chapters is talk about how God, through his goodness, showered grace upon us as undeserving, undeserving people, and how he brings both Jew and Gentile together into one family. He brings people from many different backgrounds together in one family by his good news. And he reminds us that therefore I, Paul, a prisoner in the Lord. See, Paul is writing this letter of Ephesians. We're reminded that he's writing this from house arrest or a prison in Rome. 
And we know that history tells us, church history tells us, probably about within a year of writing this letter, give or take, Paul would, would, would face death at the hands of Emperor Nero. He would die in prison. And Paul's sitting here at the, at the end of his life, he's not giving up. He's doing whatever he can to encourage the church. And he writes these letters called the prison epistles. And if you didn't know what those are, that there are several books in the, in the, in the Bible that Paul wrote, uh, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, all written while Paul was under house arrest or in imprisonment to encourage a church towards faithfulness. And so Paul here is reminding the church at his deepest, darkest hour of the goodness that he's experienced through Jesus Christ. Let us, as we begin here today and we talk about unity, let us never forget what Christ has done for us. It's called good news. Good news is good because some news interrupted something that was bad. So without Jesus, things weren't going right, but it's good. He's shown up. He's taken our sins. He's nailed them to the cross. He's defeated hell, death, and the grave, and he's risen again, and we get to live in that power. That's good news. Let us never forget this gospel, this good news in our life. Let us never forget the passion and the excitement that we had at the very beginning when Christ saved us. Y'all know we go on in life and we forget the things that have happened to us, right? That's why Thanksgiving is an important holiday. It's an important holiday because it's a time in our calendar where we can look back at all that God has done in the last year. Even in difficult years, God is doing good things. He is light, bringing light to darkness. And what we see is that unity is a result of his good work. Unity is a, is a result of God's goodness. The Holy Spirit is the one that unites us, and we see two points with this. We have to work for unity. Unity is not easy. If it was easy, we'd all be unified, right? Unity is not easy in our world. Think about it, Republican, Democrat, Saints fan, non-Saints fan. You know, like, unity is not, not easy. Not easy. It's not easy. White, black, you know, poor, rich. Think about our city. Think about Kenner, just Kenner. I, even if you don't live in Kenner, you, you're aware of Kenner. We all know that North Kenner, north of I-10, is different than Kenner, south of I-10. I've lived on both ends of Kenner, and I know. It, we have a city that's polar opposites and completely different. But through the gospel, the good news, God creates a new family. Not a family that's defined by one ethnicity or one socioeconomic class or, or, or one opinion or another. God creates a new family out of one, and that unity requires work. It doesn't just happen. It's a work of the Spirit, but the Spirit empowers us so that we get to work. Paul knew it was work. Paul left everything that he had. He left everything. Think about this. Paul was, the, was a Pharisee, and he stuttered under Gamaliel, and he was probably the most well thought of. He, Paul was actually there overseeing the death of the first Christian martyr. You're reading the book of Acts, and he was there when Stephen died. 
Paul was there. Paul was a powerful man. But Paul encountered a more powerful Jesus. And Paul's life was completely changed. And Paul gave up everything that he had accomplished. And he took on the ridicule of those who once looked up to him. And Paul went and he traveled what was the known world of Mesopotamia at the time. And he brought the good news wherever he could bring it. You read Paul's letter. Y'all remember Paul, even in his imprisonment, he wanted to go farther. He never got to Spain, but he had this mission that he wanted to go farther to Spain. He wanted to bring the gospel everywhere that he could. He didn't give up even at his final hour. As we talk about our, our, our mission as Family Church this year, we opened up these first two weeks about talking, investing generationally and multiplying missionally. God is not calling us to give up. God is calling us to advance. We have to work for unity. Why is unity important? Because Jesus said it's the way the world will know that there's something about us, right? The world will know you by your love for one another is what Jesus told his followers. And we know that it's work because what does Paul write in here? He says, therefore I, a prisoner in the Lord, what does he say? I urge you to live worthy. I urge you to live worthy. Look at verse 3. Making every effort, back in verse 2, bearing with one another. These are not things easy. They don't just come naturally. It's something that we are called to do, and we are supposed to bear with one another in all humility, gentleness, and patience. These are only possible by the working of the Holy Ghost inside of us. Humility is not easy. In the ancient world which Paul was writing in, in fact, pride was was very high. Like pride was what you longed for. You wanted pride. Humility was not well thought of. In our world today, it's not much different, right? We want to be prideful. We want to have the best social media posts. We want to have voted the right person into office. We want to be right about everything. But the Bible tells us that we are supposed to lay everything down. We are supposed to lay everything down for God. And we are supposed to not display pride but display humility and gentleness and patience. I love the way Max Anders explains this verse too. He says, and you'll see it up on the screen, humility means to see yourself as God sees you. What is humility? Humility means to see yourself as God sees you. With infinite and inherent value, but with no more value than anyone else. Let that, let that sink in. Humility doesn't mean that you're worth nothing. No, humility means that you're worth something. But you're not worth more than anyone else. God created us in His image. Male and female, He created them. Max Andrews goes on and he writes, it means being willing to accept God as the authority of your life rather than insisting on being your own supreme authority. It means that you are willing to order your life in such a way to serve God by serving others. Gentleness or meekness literally means this, power under control. Gentleness doesn't mean that you're weak. No, it means that you have power, but it's under control, the control of the Spirit. Being meek for a week makes you realize that it takes strength to be weak. It takes strength to be gentle. And he uses this example 
war horses in the ancient world, they went into battle trained to protect their master. They were under total and instantaneous control of the rider. It didn't mean that the war horse didn't have power. It didn't mean that the war horse couldn't trample upon the rider that was riding on it. It means that the war horse submitted itself to control of the rider. And we do the same way, right? We submit ourselves to a rider. Revelation calls him a rider on a white horse. And we live under his power. Max Andrews keeps writing. He says, patience is waiting for God to act when, where, and how he chooses. Patience means that we trust God. Patience means that we bear with one another. Maybe you have difficult people in your life, and you know what? If I had a mirror right now looking here, and I know this, like, because I'm, I'm close with my wife, I'm close with Mike, I'm close with other people, and I know this, like, all this being humble and gentle and patient, I know people have to do that with me, you know? Sometimes I'm not perfect in all these things. So when I look at the grace that's been shown to me, how much more should I bring that grace to other people? Not what other people have done for me, but what God has done for me. God displayed humility coming. And in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We talk about this at Christmas or Advent, that he incarnated, that he that he left the riches of heaven and came down to the lowliness of her earth in humility. And he counted it, uh, he counted the cost. Jesus was obedient to the Father. He didn't have, he could have called 10,000 angels to take him down off the cross. But what did he do? He humbled himself and he listened to the Father and he, he was gentle and he's patient in the Spirit the same way today operates in patience and humility and in kindness towards us. And we're called to be that way for other people as well. See, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit, none of this is possible without the Holy Ghost working in and through our lives. And the Scripture talks about that. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. We know what bad fruit and we know what good fruit looks like. In fact, it's not, easy, it's not hard to tell who a Christian and non-Christian are. You're going to see something in their lives. Even when you don't like one another, even when you fight, even when you have disagreements, you're going to see that there's something that's supernatural that turns you to make it right and not to continue to dig in to make sure that you're right and, and your side is always heard. We see Paul writes in the book of Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, and then... 19 through 25, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, sexual ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. It kind of sounds like when we turn on the TV, right? Like, I mean, that's what the world's pursuing. And they're trying to pursue excellence in all of these things. You can't watch a show nowadays, right? Laura and I watched a show the other night. It was like, oh my gosh, you know? You can't write, watch a show nowadays with them. Hey, all of our, y'all know reality TV? I, I hate to break it to you. Reality TV is garbage. Y'all want to know that? 
Because that's all they do is they fight and they lie to one another. That's the, that's the refrain of reality TV. We spend too much time trying to be the big brother or keep up with the Kardashians when we realize that what they're doing is not bringing them happiness. You can win a show and still be unhappy. The world prizes these things. What does Paul say? I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things, the stuff we like to skip over in the Bible, but it's there. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified in the flesh with His passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It doesn't mean that we're never selfish. It doesn't mean that we don't ever envy. It doesn't mean that we don't ever fail sexually. It doesn't mean that we're not ever drunk. It doesn't mean that we don't... It just means that these things no longer define us. And these things no longer drive our happiness. And the fruit of the Spirit in our life means that we repent of these things. We give them to God. And we work to walk in a new life. That fancy word that you've heard before is called sanctification. The Spirit shows up in the church to work out unity as we work to grow in Christ amongst one another. We're going to talk about that next week. Next week we're going to talk about growth. But the result, the the growth that Paul's talking about here in chapter 4 is growing in unity and purpose and unity and vision. We're to grow up in every way. And, And the way we grow first is we have to work for unity. Like the great theologian Michael Jackson once said, y'all can laugh, isn't that great theologian? Great theologian Michael Jackson said, right, man in the mirror. Y'all remember that song, right? Right? I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And no message could be any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, you take a look at yourself and make a change, right? Andre wants to get up and dance. You know, like, I'm not going to moonwalk because that's not right. I don't think Michael Jackson had all the answers. But sometimes we, we, it reminds us that if we want to see something different happen, we, we, really, we, we have to own it. I don't really start with the man in the mirror. That's bad theology. No one accused him. I, I was a joke about great theologian. Like, I don't start with the man in the mirror. I, I start with the man that I mirror. Right? The only way unity is possible, the only way growth is possible is we look to the author and perfecter of our faith. We look to Christ Jesus. That brings us to our second point is we mirror God's image. We mirror God's image. Let's read those those three verses again, verses 4 through 6 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. There is one body. The word there in Greek is soma. It means living organism. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all 
and in all. In fact, this same refrain has been mentioned several times throughout church history, and either even Paul in 1 Corinthians kind of mentions it again in a similar way. In fact, many, many theologians believe these three verses may have in fact been one of the first true Christian confessions of faith. There's one God, right? One author and perfecter of our faith. His name is Jesus. And, and we were, we're reminded that we mirror his image, that we are broken mirrors, but he puts our mirror back together so that we can shine our light. We're not shining the light that's just in us, that exudes from us. No, we're shining the light that shines down on us, right? We mirror his image. And did you know God is united? The Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Wayne Grudem puts it this way. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, and there's one God. And if you've been in church long enough, the Trinity is something that like just boggles your mind. God is not three separate gods. God is one God. God in three persons, blessed Trinity, right? Holy, holy, holy. We've sung that hymn in, church, in the church for decades and decades. We believe in a God who, who is actively at work amongst his creation, a God who so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Uh, Jesus Christ, obedient to the Father on the cross and said, it's to my benefit that I go because I'm sending a helper. And that helper came, Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came and he lit us up, lit us up for the glory of God. And we are now pursuing unity. We are now pursuing unity and purpose, unity and vision. This unity is expressed, right? One faith, one baptism. Did you know that baptism is something that unites us? If you're here today and you haven't been baptized, and by baptizing, I mean you've gone and, and we've gotten work on our baptism. Mike and Scott have done a lot of work the past couple of weeks. We're getting it ready for a lot of people who are going to be baptized, right, this year. Like, it's going to be a lot of people baptized this year, and it's not going to leak downstairs anymore. At least we're hoping not. And so here's the thing. We, we go into the baptismal waters, and we are immersed in water, and we come up because it's a unifying sign for God's people that we are now a part of his family. We are dead to sin and we are alive in Christ. If you didn't know, water can both represent death and life. Book of Revelation, which, uh, spoiler alert, we're, we're going to be in Revelation this year. We're going to be in right after Mardi Gras. We're going to jump into the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, you'll see some imagery that the sea represents chaos. And we know here in New Orleans, right, water represented death, right? Water represented chaos. But water can be a good thing too, right? It brings refreshment. Well, I mean, we know in our house right now, the Rosses are dealing with some sewage issues in, in our house right now. And we know that good, clean water is good and refreshing. You especially know it when you don't have it. That's why we work through missions agencies and did you know sometimes missions agencies, the first thing that they will do when they show up is they'll build a well in a community that doesn't have clean water. Why? Because clean water represents the goodness of the gospel that's going to people. And so does baptism. Baptism represents that we are now dead to our sin, but we are alive in Christ. If you haven't been baptized, and by baptizing I mean dunk. 
I don't mean sprinkled or something thrown at you. I mean dunked. Come and see Mike or I, and we would love to baptize you. Hey, we'll do it next week if we have to, right? You know? And we have a heater. My old church location, we didn't have a heater. You had to be serious about following Jesus. But we have a heater for this baptism. And so it doesn't mean that if it's cold or whatever, we can't do it. We can do it. Baptism unites us because it tells us that we are now a part of not just the universal church, but we are a part of the local church. Just as circumcision was a sign in the Old Testament of those who were in and outside the covenant of God, baptism is a sign and something that we hold as a unifying mark of all of us here in the church. doesn't matter if you're black, white, Republican, Saints fan, non-Saints fan. Baptism unites us. One faith, one baptism, right? One God and Father of all. He is... He, we, we have a Jewish heritage who brings, uh, who brings the goodness to all people. What did God tell Abram? In you, all the, all the people of the earth shall be blessed. We now live in the power and promise of God's people throughout all history. Did you know unity was so important to Christ? And, and, and not only was unity something that He worked for and He longed for, but it's something He prayed over us. Just one of the few things that he prayed over us was that we would be unified. John chapter 17, verse 20 through 24. Jesus prays for us. He says, I pray not only for these, talking about his disciples, but for also those who will believe in me through their word. If you didn't know it, we're here today because of the work of the early apostles. And we carry on the good news just in the way that they did as well. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am you, may they also be in us, so that the world may know that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I am them, and you are in me, that, so that they may be completely one, that the world may know that they have sent me, and you have loved them as you have loved me. Unity. It's worth our work. Unity, it's worth our worship. We worship a unified God. And as His image bearers, we work hard to be unified with our brothers and sisters. In fact, that's why we, we, do the Lord, we, we participate in the Lord's table on a weekly basis. Did you know you read the book of 1 Corinthians and you'll see, and Mike and, and Todd and those who've led us in communion before, sometimes we'll be reminded that the Lord has something wrong. The Lord, the Lord isn't quite amongst His people or blesses the table when disunity exists. In fact, it says that if we take the table in an unworthy manner, we can actually reap curses upon ourselves. But we're supposed to examine ourselves. We're supposed to repent of our sins. We're supposed to be reconciled with our brothers and sisters so that we can come to the table Together. Together as family. And really, unity is about who you worship. I'm reminded that identity and actions go together inseparably. You're going to act like who you are. Y'all know that the way somebody really is will come to the surface eventually, right? If you're, a, if you're an insecure person, let everything be rocked and the insecurity will come to the table, will come to the forefront. 
If you're a mean and selfish person, let your world be rocked and that will come to the forefront and that will come to the table. But the good news of Jesus is that our insecurity doesn't define us. Our selfishness doesn't define us. Our political leanings don't define us. None of these things define us. He does. He does. It's about who we revere. It's about who we worship. Theologian G.K. Beale, and I'll, I'll close with this. He writes in his book, we, we become what we worship. What people revere, they will resemble either for ruin or restoration. Let me remind us of that again. What people will re- revere, they will resemble either for ruin or restoration. If you revere or worship yourself, your future, your finances, your relationships, you will live for all of those things. And when those things aren't accomplished in the way that you want them to be accomplished, the only way out is to take yourself out of the situation. That's why the most powerful figures that we've known that have lived in, you know, like, think about it. I'm not going to judge a person, but there have been many celebrities that we've laughed in movies or or watch good things, and then they take their life because they were pursuing all of these things. What do you revere? Do you revere Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you revere God, if you revere the unified Trinitarian God that we love and we worship, you will resemble Him. And it won't be for ruin but it'll be for your restoration. And may I remind you that the world needs restoring because it's been messed up. Genesis chapter 3, we wanted the one thing that God said that we couldn't have. And we can blame Adam and Eve till the sun don't shine. We'd have probably eaten of the fruit quicker than they did. But because of it, we inherit brokenness. And the only way that brokenness can be restored is through the unified God. I ask you today, we know the Holy Spirit unites us, but are you willing, are you willing to join the family? To join the family of unity? Maybe God's calling you to join this family as a church member. Maybe you haven't yet committed to be a part of this body. You haven't covenanted. You haven't committed. Maybe you don't have membership anywhere. Well, if you've been with us long enough and you have membership somewhere else, I can tell you, you're not a good member of where you are. You're not. Like, God calls us to commit to one another. I would love for you to come and talk with me, Mike, Julie, Laura, somebody, Todd, Reese, and we would love to tell you about how to be a part of family church. But what, is, what defines who family church is? It defi- what we're defined by the family maker, the father. And I would ask you today, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you committed yourself to God the Father, living empowered by His Spirit? The Bible says, Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not a six-step process. It's a one-person solution. His name is Christ. I'd ask you today, are you willing to lay it all down? Are you willing to lay down what you revere? Money, sex, finances, 
and uh, your reputation? Are you willing to lay all these things down for the one who laid it all down for you to give you hope and future and promise? And Jesus here is today is a good father, and he's saying, come. Come and follow me. Lay your head on my shoulder. I will give you rest. I'll secure you. I'll be here with you. The world desperately needs to hear that today. Let's follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for guiding us. Lord, we thank you so much for being here with us. Lord, today I I, I pray that if there's someone here who doesn't know you or someone listening that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, God, that they would lay it all down. They would acknowledge, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've tried to do it my own way. The only thing that I can do now, God, is give it all to you. I believe you are God. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me to take my sins. Lord, I commit my life to you. Wash me clean. God, help us to call upon your name in our time of need. God, I pray today if there's someone here who isn't a part of a church family, someone who's listening who's not a part of a church family, God, I pray that they would reach out and they would join a church family. Lord, today they can do that with family church. Lord, I pray that we'd respond to your goodness. Help us to respond in your power and in your power by displaying the thing that marks us, which is unity. Thank you, God, for uniting us. Pray, God, that we would be united so that the world may know who we live for, that the world may know who we long for, that the world may know who they need. You, Jesus. It's in your name we respond. Amen. Let's stand, let's sing, let's respond.